All right, good morning, everyone. All right, good morning, everyone. That's a little better. I guess I'm just maybe used to youth group, but there's more of you here than even then, so. Do your job, Jesse. (laughs) All right, Um, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 this morning after a little bit of a delay. We were... We were traveling the two weeks ago, and our, as some of you heard, our plane got, we missed the, they closed the doors one minute after our frenzied run through the airport, and uh, anyways, so I was obviously thrilled and very delightful to the gate agent, and uh, no, I, I had some apologizing to do afterwards, so it was, it was quite a, anyway, it was quite an ordeal, but anyways, we're here, we're here now, and we're, we'll carry on in Mark chapter 1. Before we do that, I just want to mention uh, two things to the assembly, um, and they both have to do with youth group, because I love youth group. Um, and so I just want to ask for, publicly, if we can ask for your prayer for the youth group, there's, um, as you guys, everybody in this room who's older than a teenager was a teenager at some point, and there's just all sorts of issues, big and small, and for those of you who are parents and grandparents or friends of these young kids, uh, the decision I was telling a couple of girls on Friday night that the decisions that these that these kids make in their junior high and high school years really do set the course for the rest of their life. Not that people can't change when they're older, but generally that is you set you set that course in your younger years, and so um, and so we're aware of that as uh, as youth group leaders. We uh, we take that really seriously, and we would love it if I know many of you do too, and so we would just love your prayers for the youth group. So I'll just say that publicly. Also, um, you can pray for uh, Focus Weekend. I know it, sometimes it seems like that's in the middle of the winter. It seems hard to believe that spring actually can come, um, but we're going to do Focus Weekend again this year at Emmanuel Bible Camp for the, for the weekend, and we just confirmed a couple of, well, actually just this week, I guess, that Mark DeJagger is going to speak. And so we're, you know, we're happy about that, and I think the kids will be as well. And so we just kind of, if you're praying for the youth group, pray for that as well. Um, and I'll also mention a third thing, but it's still about the youth group. Um, there, uh, in October, uh, Tim Watley invited me and some other and some other guys from some other churches to go to Pennsylvania, and we went to a uh, um, an ethno base, an ethno's base, um, and they they do um, it's called Wyumi. And so many of you were involved in Rikapuna, either in praying for it and setting up and working there or attending. And so Wyumi is. Uh, Rickapuna, but like it's a it's a week long summer camp missions trip for teens, and they have programs for for adults and for junior high kids. Uh, but there's a program for nine to, uh, grades nine to twelve, and so we're putting together some people to go. Um, and we mentioned this to, this to the kids, and of course they're all excited. But then they have to go home and tell their parents, and their parents, you know, are like drawing on the map from PEI to Pennsylvania, and it's a long way. Um, so for those of you who have heard of that or who kids are interested, um, just come and t- talk to Tim uh, or talk to myself, and there's a, they have a website and everything. So I just want to put that on your mind. I'll be mentioning that to the kids again. Uh, but we are, um, when Tim, Tim brought us down and we were, it's when, you, like, when you're there. And for those of you maybe who have been to the Durham campus, uh, maybe a similar thing happened. Like there's a little something that, there's a little something that changes inside of you when you see all these people who have gone to the ends of the earth and who have come back and are organizing 
all sorts of ways to get people interested and to go or to send or to serve uh, worldwide missions. And it's, it's pretty cool. So, um, so we'd like to get a bunch of kids to come or, and we'll have some chaperones. But if you have questions about that, um, you know, please ask them if you have, and you can certainly pray for that as well. So I just want to make that known. Um, now into Mark, the, um, actually I, and I should go back a little bit when we, when I was going to speak in Mark, we were, uh, we were away when we heard about, um, uh, Wayne Gindon's death. And, and the, it's funny, like the, the very first thing I think is the thing I always think about Wayne. And I'll tell you a little story because I think it, uh, um, because this is the impact that a little thing can have on somebody's life. Years ago, when, uh, when Wayne and Veronica were, were in El Salvador, when they were missionaries, but they would, they would come back every once in a while. And I didn't really know Wayne that well. Like I, I mean, I knew who he was and we prayed for him. But for whatever reason, I, I don't know why, Wayne took an interest in me. And every time they were home, he would, he would talk and he, you know, he just asked me how things were going. I was just... At the time, I would have been like a like middle teenager, maybe like 15, 16 years old. And when I was, I think I was, I was just 17, Wayne came home and he had, and at the time, I was not like, like reading my Bible was not a thing that I did. It just, it just didn't really happen. And I knew, I knew like I should, and I, I just didn't. And Wayne came back and he had a little bag, like a little bag of maybe like, it would have been probably like six, ta- like six tablespoons or whatever of coffee. And I had knew nothing about coffee. I didn't drink coffee. But he, he had this coffee and he, you know, and he was saying, he was kind of talking it up like, oh, this is like really good. It's from where, I don't, I have no idea, but it's a coffee part of the world in El Salvador. So this really nice coffee. I want you to have it. And so I kind of thought, well, thanks, I guess, or whatever. But I, so I took it. And, and then I, and, I, and I remember having this coffee on the drive home from church. And I remember thinking, you know what? Serious Christians read the Bible. Like, in my mind, that, was, that made sense. If, you, if I'm serious about being a Christian, like, I need to be in the Word of God. And then I thought, well, like, when do you read? You read the Bible in the morning. And serious Christians, in my mind, get up early and have coffee and read the Bible. And I remember thinking, this is perfect. This is perfect. And so, and so at the time, um, at the time, mom would make coffee for dad. And after supper, every night, mom would put, you know, cream and sugar in the cup and put a couple scoops of like the instant coffee and pour the water. And that was coffee to me. So of course I've got this really nice El Salvadorian coffee. And so I remember I thought, you know what, what time's early? Like what's it? Five o'clock is early. That is early. Nobody's arguing with that. That's early. So I got up at five o'clock and I crept downstairs and I put the hot water on and I got my coffee cup and, and then I took this nice El Salvadorian coffee and I put, I don't know, you know, like Thing like, I don't know how many scoops you're supposed to put in here. Probably like maybe all of it. I, I put a ton of it in. And then I thought, that's perfect. And the water was boiling. So I poured it in and I thought, this is going to be great. So I stirred and I stirred and I stirred. And I thought, I guess I wasn't really familiar with coffee. I guess, I guess this is what coffee is. So I remember up I go to my, up I go to my room and I choke down that whole cup of, of delicious El Salvadorian coffee and read my Bible. And and all that to say, that started for me a pattern of daily reading, getting up at five in the morning and reading. And that is, so that was when I was 17 and I'm now 37 and that was 20 years ago. And the only reason, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that I can even be up here doing this at all is because of that consistent habit 
And it was started by, I'm sure if I brought that up, like, I'm sure in heaven I'll bring this up to Wayne and he'll say, what? Like, what were you drinking? Why were you doing that? And he, so he might not even remember. And, I'm, and all that to say, this is the effect that you can have on young people. Just take an interest in them. And he didn't say, like, drink this coffee and read your Bible, right? It was just a little bit of an interest in me, and he gave me that. And every morning, when I have, like, proper percolated coffee, it's just normal, you know? Uh, I drink normal coffee now. Um, but when I, I, was, I was thinking this morning, I was pouring my coffee, th- and I thought, thank you, Wayne, for the, for the coffee and for the encouragement. I think of that every morning when I read my Bible. And so, um, so that's just... Anyway, that's the effect. That's the effect that he had and that you can have in someone's life. Isn't that wonderful? Let's go into the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 32 to verse 45. Uh, Mark chapter 1 and verse 32 says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Now, We're going to stop there just for one second because it's not part of the message, but I think we need to understand the context. Okay, that evening, when the Bible says that evening, right? Well, what evening? Okay, it's important because in the previous uh, section, in if you go up to verse twenty-one, it says on the Sabbath they went into this, they went into the synagogue, and and he casts out a demon. He casts out a demon, and they and all the crowd says. What is this? A new teaching with authority. They were shocked that a demon was cast out, that it was cast out with such authority. Now, it, in the Jewish culture, of course, they would be at, at the synagogue on, a, on, a, on the Sabbath. And so they weren't allowed to do anything else, right? They didn't have, you know, they didn't have cell phones or the internet or phones or any of that stuff. So they, they would go to the synagogue, they would meet at the synagogue, and then, right, everybody goes, everybody goes back home, Right? So they come to the synagogue, the man's healed, everybody goes back home. But just as it happens, in verse 28, it says that once his fame spread everywhere, right? so maybe some people didn't quite follow the rules, but neighbors were talking, and it spread through the town, and it spread even into the next town. This is all on a Sabbath. Everybody's supposed to be at home, right? so nobody can go out. Right? Nobody's allowed to go out until, right, on the, the Sabbath end, it goes from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday at the end of the day. So, and so he, he leaves the synagogue and he goes to the home of Peter and Andrew. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then we come to verse 32. That evening at sundown, it's important, right? It's important that it's the Sabbath is over, travel's allowed, and the floodgates burst open. People have been cooped up all day, like, you know, resting, but talking. Did you, were you there? I was at the synagogue. I saw it. Did you see it? No, my brother was there and he saw it, but he went to a synagogue down the, down the street on the other end of town and the word spreads all through the city and all through the whole region. It says that evening, right, at the end of the Sabbath, when Sabbath was over, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns and I may preach there also for that is why I came out. And he went throughout, throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. And he went out and began to speak or to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And so the, the book of Mark is, um, as I'm sure it was, I, I, or well, it was mentioned in the intro that the book of Mark is an, is an action gospel. It's very, it's kind of, it's almost like choppy. It's so fast. You can think of a, of a, of a movie that's cut with, with quick cuts all the way throughout and it, and it moves quickly. The action, you just kind of show up in the middle of the action and it's already happening. And, uh, I didn't, I actually didn't realize this, but two thirds of the verses in Mark start with the word and I, I'm, I'm sure that depends a little on the translation, but two-thirds of the verses. So the, the, the book just goes from, like it almost doesn't even finish a thought. They went here, and they went here, and they went here, and, and it's just there's no pause. It goes right through. And, uh, and it was written for, of course, for, of course, a Roman audience, and we know, in, in my mind, we know that it's, um, we know one of the ways that we know that it is um, divinely written um, and not just written in the imagination of a man. Um, we know that because it is absolutely embarrassing to the disciples. Um, Peter, uh, Peter denies the Lord. All the disciples abandon. John and James have, have these strange requests that they ask of the Lord, like embarrassing later on. Like when I tell a story, generally speaking, I am the hero of the story. Regardless of what happened, right? And you never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And so when I tell, I mean... And maybe none of you are like that, but that's how I tell. Even if, even if I'm in the wrong, I'm not really in the wrong. It's actually really Dave's fault, um, you know, or whatever. And so that's how we tell stories, isn't it? We always, or if there's a story that is really embarrassing, we just kind of like let that one slip under the radar. Let's focus on how great I am. And the book of Mark doesn't do that. Peter would have been one of the sources for the gospel. And, you know, I'm sure there's a part of Peter that, you know, didn't we want to tell the story to Mark, but Mark divinely includes it in the gospel or to outline the fact that this story is about people and the Lord Jesus, right? And the people are always failing and God is always through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, always succeeding, always coming behind and helping people up. And ultimately for the sins of the whole world, he's, he saves the world. And that's, that's of course the conclusion of the book and that God sends weak and helpless people into all the earth. And that's where we are now. So uh, one thing in, especially in the New Testament, this is our outline for today is it's a little, just because it's, an, because it's a narrative story and we have a few stories and we're only focusing on a small little section, it doesn't lend itself that easily to, um, to an exact outline. But the idea, the, one, the three things I want to talk about this morning is, uh, is demon possession and oppression. It's, it's heavily throughout the Gospels and I think there is a lot of confusion today about what that means and how, like, like where do we fit that into our modern framework in, in, North, in North America and Prince Edward Island? How does demon oppression and possession fit in? And where do we see that? Has anything changed since Bible times? Uh, the second thing that we want to talk about 
is why, we want to answer the question, why Jesus keeps telling people not to talk about him. He command, everybody, everybody heals and helps. He keeps saying, like, don't say a word. Shh, don't tell. Don't tell anybody. Just go tell, this, just go tell the priests. Don't tell anybody. And then the third thing, this is, uh, this is my favorite thing that we're going to talk about this morning. Jesus 100% knew what his ministry was. Without a shadow of a doubt, he does strange things because he's it's strange to us because he's so convinced of what his ministry is. And there's also, I think we can we can learn from this how to how to know yourself what your ministry is. If I asked that question to you, if I said, um, if I you know just I won't pick anybody out of the crowd because that's embarrassing. I'll pick John. He raised his eyebrows at me, so I'll do that. <laughs> if I said, John, do you know, the, give me in a brief paragraph what your ministry is, and like as concise as you can. We, you might kind of struggle. You might say, well, oh, shoot, okay, well, I, you know, I'm a, a father and a, and a husband and a, I'm a son, and, you know, and, and John is a business, so I guess that's, that's part of the ministry, and John does some speaking, so that's a ministry, and involved a camp a little, but I mean, maybe not as much as some people, so... And we struggle sometimes to know. And then, and then an, and often what happens is this, an opportunity comes up. And I say, Aaron, would you help me with this? And you're just you're up to your eyeballs and work. And it's like, well, what is ministry anyway? I don't know. Or my, like, I, I guess I have a few minutes. I could help you. And, and we get, so when we, we start stacking things into our life, trying to fulfill our ministry or something. And so we just, we, we, we max out our life sometimes and we're still left wondering, am I actually doing what the Lord wants me to do? How can we be sure of that? I think that's a question that oftentimes I would love to have answered. Like, what exactly is God's will and God's ministry for me? Now, I'm not going to answer it in exact, you know, line-by-line -line terms for you. Uh, but there is a, there's actually sort of a formula to do it. And I want to explain that this morning. So let's get into, let's get into demon possession. Um, throughout the New Testament, there are so many examples of people being oppressed and possessed by demons. And the, uh, the Lord Jesus comes on the scene amongst other people who also are attempting at least to cast out demons. It seems like often, sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. Jesus is always successful, and he brings the disciples along, and they have moderate success in the demon-casting-out realm. And all through the New Testament, there's, um, there's, Jew, there's people that are firmly of the Jewish faith that are, there's actually, actually we encounter in the book of Acts, traveling exorcists. People who just, like, like itinerant preachers, they would go around and preach. These itinerant ex exorcists would go all through the world and encounter uh, demons of various sorts and cast them out. And so, you know, like, what is going on here? Like, how do we kind of understand that? So I'm not, I'm not going to do a full explanation of, of, of demonology here because that's outside, I think, the scope of the passage here. But there's a, there's a couple of verses, I think, that are important, uh, important to read and important uh, kind of distinctions to make. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 um, and so again, this is Second uh, Corinthians was not a not a late late book uh, that Paul wrote, uh, and so we uh, so we can read just a, a couple of verses just to kind of get our heads around the battles that we're fighting. Second Corinthians chapter ten, in verse three, 
It says, for though we walk in the flesh, right, in physical, temporal bodies, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so it, it kind of puts a bit of a circle around what it is that we're actually doing. It's easy to think that we fight physical wars, that we fight um, like we are let's say all of us who have jobs, it feels like we're fighting inflation, right? It feels like we're fighting taxes. It feels like we're fighting, uh, we're fighting debt. It feels like we're fighting, uh, you know, just the, like, just the normal everyday struggles to make enough money. It feels like we're fighting, um, you know, fighting technology, let's say with our kids or I shouldn't even, I shouldn't say that with our kid. We, you guys are all fighting technology. Forget your kids for a second. We're all fighting like technology, the grip that it can have, your phone and TV and internet and all the noise that comes in and it feels like, well, we're fighting that, aren't we? And we're fighting, like, in, you think, think around the world, like, aren't pe- like people are fighting actual wars with actual people, like actual, you know, bullets and tank fire and missile. Like, this is what we're fighting. There's wars in the world and we have wars in our, or maybe you think I'm fighting with my, maybe I'm fighting with people, I'm fighting with my spouse or my kids or my coworkers or, or neighbors. I'm, I'm, we've all these disagreements. We're fighting. Paul is really clear that although we walk in the flesh, we're living in physical bodies, right? It says that in verse three, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now, what that means is, it doesn't say we're not waging any wars with any physical things. It says we don't wage war according to the flesh, Right? So what it means is that the, the weapons that we have, the defenses that we have, are not merely physical. Now, of course, we can, have, we can lock our doors, we can have gates and airbags and all that. But the primary weapons that we're fighting our, our war with are spiritual weapons, or weapons in the mind against these things. And so um, in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, this is, just, I want to kind of lay that groundwork first. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this, um, now, it's in the context of something a little different, but the, the phrase that Paul mentions, I want to pull out here. It says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. I read that and I thought, wait a second, I think I am, I think I am ignorant of his designs, though. Like, I don't, I'm actually not, like, it's, it sounds like it just should be so obvious. And so if we look into scripture a little bit more, we can certainly tell uh, what Satan's designs are. But I think I want to, what I want to do this morning is lay that out because I think many of us are in fact ignorant of the designs of Satan. Like what is he actually doing in the world today? What is that war that we're fighting, right? The physical is very uh, tangible, and so we kind of tend to fight the, the, the money battle and the relationship battle a little more. Like that's such a little more um, easy to get our hands and our teeth on. You know, we can kind of, well, someone's fighting those battles with family, she can get her teeth on it because it's violent. But like that's, that's more like more our speed. We can kind of understand that a little more. Um, but we're not ignorant of Satan's designs. And 
uh, Jesus says it very clearly. What is Satan's, like, what is Satan's main objective? Jesus calls him the thief in reference to the, to the sheep, doesn't he? He refers, to the, uh, he refers to, the, to the devil, to the enemy as the thief, one who's stealing away the sheep. And what is the thief's objective in that story? Do you remember? It's to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's Satan's objective, right? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and mainly in reference to God's designs and God's glory. Satan doesn't want, he doesn't want God's designs to come to pass. He doesn't want God to get the glory. He wants it for himself. And so everything that he can do to steal, kill, and destroy is, uh, is all part of the domain of Satan. That's what he's trying to do, okay? And so, uh, and so when we read that, like, I often think, you know, we're often surprised when people, when things are stolen, when things are killed, when things are destroyed. Like, we're often, how did that even happen? This is the work of, of Satan in the world. And so... As we're talking about demon, uh, demon possession and oppression, here was my an initial thought. And maybe it's your thought as well. I thought, well, we don't, we don't see that in our world today. Like, we don't see that in Prince Edward Island. Or there's different theories about, like, different theories, and it, and it, it gets off the deep end pretty quick, I think. And we talk about, oh, maybe there's some forms of mental illness that are that are demon oppression and possession. And that's a different, um, different discussion, I think. But we don't see the kind of like, the kind of activity in casting out demons and demon oppression and possession that we see in the New Testament. So, so I guess my question was either it's not happening or we're not aware of it. These are the two things. And at and I think in my, uh, I have, I have many, I have like, there's like four pages of notes behind the uh, you know, kind of kind of behind this message here that are all about like we don't see it we're ignorant and we need to like really kind of like change our lens and focus like so much activity on this and then good old C.S. Lewis he had a quote and I uh, he anyways it's like at the very end of all of those notes um, I'm going to read it to you because it's uh, it's good as most of the things that C.S. Lewis writes are. C.S. Lewis says there are two and e- there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence; the other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Right. So these are the two errors that we can make. We can just say the spiritual demonic world doesn't exist. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to think about it. That's an error. I mean, that's an error because the Bible is so clear that our war is not against things of the flesh, right? The other, uh, the other error is to is to rip down that whole curtain and just like and just let it all come. Let's just figure all of this out. And the Bible is um, the Bible is, I think, intentionally unclear about a lot of these mysteries that we don't see, and so. So, anyway, so that was a lot of time wasted studying when I could have just read somebody smarter than me. <laughs> However, um, I want to, I mean, the point exists, though, that demonic activity exists around the world. When, when uh, Tim and I were in, uh, when we were in Wyoming, we were looking through the bookstore, and, and, uh, and so Tim bought a book, which I kept, and I still have, Tim, just so you know. <laughs> you were gone for so long, Tim. 
I put my name in it. No, I didn't. Nah. But it's, do you remember the name of the book, Tim? It's Spirit of the Rainforest. And uh, so it's just about all these cultures around the world. And, and I remember uh, Tim picked it up and he said, I'll let you read it when I'm finished. And, and then he said, just so you know, like, it's not really bedtime reading. And it's quite like, it, you know, it's, I haven't, so I, I read a little bit of it and indeed it isn't. And so we just want to, and we don't, we also don't want to pretend that, that the demonic world only exists in the jungle or something like that or, or overseas, but here, you know, we're civilized and normal. That isn't quite the case. And also, remember the, remember the devil's objective is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And those demonic forces in many parts of the world have stolen, have killed, or caused people to, to kill and have destroyed so many lives. And I wouldn't be, I mean, Tim, you'd probably be an expert on, or you would know more about this, at least than me, to, to, to see those stories and to hear. And of course, maybe we've all heard different stories of, of cultures and things that have just, it's just absolutely haywire. Um, the, the destruction that, uh, that, these, that these demons have caused, these false gods. And, uh, and so that exists in a very real way in many, many parts of the world. So false gods, are, these are counterfeits that, that the devil will put forward, right? That's one of the ways that he steals, kills, and destroys God's glory, right? He puts a counterfeit god. How about this god who will cause people to go exactly the opposite direction? And so that is a very real method that Satan uses in the world to create counterfeit gods to steal, kill, and destroy. In the West, we certainly live right now in a very unique period in time. False gods, uh, in terms of actually naming different gods and worshiping them in a, in a real religious way, maybe that's not so common. But remember, the, Satan's goal is not it's not to just create false gods. It's to steal, kill, and destroy God's glory and God's design. And so the kind of the twin errors in the West are humanism and materialism. And they've overtaken this idea that uh, humanism, meaning that the human is the highest, uh, the highest form of, of thought and thinking in the world, and everything in the world is created by humans and flows from humans, and humans are indeed... The, the pinnacle of all creation, of all nature. That's humanism. And now it sounds very kind of grand and grandiose, but essentially it's yourself as the God, right? You're a human, you're God, or you have the potential to be God. And we see this in, in all sorts of ways um, from, you know, weird kind of like weird new age practices. And you, you also see it uh, online with, you got to grind and you got to be, you got to go hard and you got to have a five-year plan and millions and billions and there's all this available if you just work hard. Like that's still humanism, isn't it? Because the human is the center of all of that. And materialism is, uh, is another area. And so that's not so much the self is God, but materialism is essentially is possessions and material things as God. The highest thing that you can achieve in life is the big house and the nice car and the, the paved driveway and the, and the, you know, and the, and the retirement savings and the fortune. Or that's a, that's an error that like rich people make, but it doesn't matter how much money that you have. You can, it's so easy to be materialistic when you have nothing. Material things can still be 
the highest form. And so all of these things Satan uses to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose. And so this is, now you can disagree with me if you want. I think the reason that we don't see uh, much demonic activity in the West as we maybe see other parts of the world is because Satan doesn't need to use it, right? He doesn't need to create fear, to steal, kill, and destroy. All he need, he'll, he'll just turn it around and say, fine, you want to be rich? Fine. How about materialism as God? Your things are your God now. Anything that's not the one true God at the center of our lives is playing exactly into Satan's plan. And so I think that's why we don't see the levels of oppression and possession that we see in the word of God. But when we see that, we, we would be an error to say, well, that was then, and they had problems. They worshipped other gods. They lived in fear, and they didn't have any self-control. Not like us today, right? It's we we just have a different error. That's all. And so, I just as we go through the as we go through the the passage and through the rest of the book, we should remember uh, not to think of you know think lowly of these people and think, well, they didn't have it together like we do because we've just gone in the exact opposite direction and made like the opposite error, okay? Uh, man, the time. Shouldn't have made so many youth group announcements. This is just like you. Like, you know, let's do it just like youth group and we'll just go like 50 minutes over. No, we won't do that. Um, okay, I want to I get into uh, Jesus' ministry. This is so good. Okay, let's go down to verse, oh, I lost the passage here. Down to verse, I think, I don't, even, I don't even remember. I don't even remember what verse it is in the passage. Just give me one second. Um, we're, all right. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Okay. This is, so this is Jesus' ministry, and I want to kind of put our ministry side by side and see if we can find some parallels here. And it says here in verse 36, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. I want to take this example of Jesus getting up super early while it's dark, like walking who knows how far away and finding a nice quiet place to pray. And in the very next verse, Simon, those are with him. They all came looking for him and told him, everybody's looking for you. And so just for like an illustration, mothers with little kids, does any of this sound familiar? You've got a nice quiet spot to pray in your, in your bedroom. It's the only bedroom in the house with a lock on it. And you're, you're on the bed. You're, you know, you're maybe behind the covers a little bit. I think I just want to have just like at least a half of this cup of tea and just like read like maybe a chapter. Can I do that? And this is true of Jana all the time. It's just like all of a sudden, everybody's got something to show Jana. Look at this. What happened to this? This is wrecked. I'm not ready for this, of course. And, and I'm no better because I love to talk. And so where's Jana? I'll tell her, I'll tell her this great story. I got a great story for her. And, and so Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him. There, Jana showed me a video a while ago of, there was a, there was a mother in, I assume, it was, well, it was a mother. She was in, it looked like she was in the walk-in closet with the lights off and she's on her phone filming like, I just need a break. And, you, and she turns the phone around and you can see under the door, the kids have their fingers underneath the door. Mom, mom. <laughs> and they're, they're like clamoring to get at her. 
And uh, so, of course, Jana watched that, and many of you know that it's just, and it's not just mothers, right? Like, let's say, um, um, have you, many of you uh, guys and girls, you guys own businesses. Do you ever feel like that? You think, I just, you're just getting down to do some, some good work. You're just ready to, like, just do a nice, simple job, and all of a sudden, the phone rings. There's, clients need this, and you think, can you not figure that out by yourself? And, and employees are calling, what are we, we're, we're, uh, we're over here, and we're wondering about, can you bring this? And all of a sudden, you know, a, a tenant calls, and something's broken, and, and, and you just think, oh my goodness, like, I'm just trying. And maybe, you're, maybe in the church, do you ever feel like you just, you maybe just got like, just maybe a couple of weeks where you just maybe have no commitments or something, or you're committed to one thing and you think, this is a good thing, this is great, I just want to do this. And all of a sudden, well, the planning committee for this calls, and we're wondering about getting somebody on Sunday to do this, and next week a bunch of us are going up and we're looking for this for camp and looking for that, and can you, can you help, and so-and-so is in a, what a pickle they're in, can you, could you, could you come out tonight and deal with that? And we've all felt that in some way that you just find that nice desolate place. You just find just for a minute and all the people are every, that's everyone is looking for you. And we can kind of put that in different places in our life. Everyone is looking for you and there's just no time. Now, so there's two things about this. In the next verse, listen to this. So it gets even crazier for Jesus because we find, in that time, what do we do? We say, oh my goodness, yeah, we'll just, okay, like Bible to this side, you know, coffee cup to that side. Let's just dive into the ministry. Whatever you guys want of me, I'll just do it. Well, Jesus actually knows what his ministry is. This is an interesting thing. So in, uh, down in verse 38, right? Everybody's looking for him. Everybody needs him. There's like years of work for him in that town. Or at least days, weeks, months of work. This is in verse 38. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Wait, what? Like, all of the people right here like they're just over the next hill, Jesus. They're all like, they're all looking for you right now. They want to hear what you have to say. They want your ministry right now. And Jesus is perfect. Like they're all like, all right, like on to the next town. And Jesus just walks to the next town and preaches. And you think, how, how does he do that? Like, how can he just leave all of those people right there? And of course, the answer is easy because actually in verse two, it says, and when he returned to Capernaum, so he actually ends up going back. Um, but he knows what his ministry is. It's so clear. He goes on to the next town. If you remember at the, uh, at the last supper, he's praying to his, to, to his father in John uh, 17. He's praying to his father and he says, father, I've finished the work that you sent me to do. Like that's kind of surprising. Like he, he finished it. This was like, and actually this was before his crucifixion. So he finished his ministry. Like, like it's just, it's, you think of like in, in any of these ministries, like I guess as a youth group leader, I, I would think like, what do you mean I've finished the ministry? Like, unless there's no more kids and all the kids in the youth group are of like perfect stature with Christ. Like, how do you finish a ministry? Uh, but and so we're not exactly sure, we're not exactly sure, but uh, but Jesus knows exactly what his ministry is. It's discipling, uh, you know, 
discipling the, uh, the disciples, um, healing, preaching, and casting out, uh, casting out these demons. There's a time frame on it, and he goes from Galilee down through Samaria to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross, and his ministry is finished. And so um, there's probably two questions that we need to ask in terms of how do you know with that kind of precision what your ministry is? And the first we find in, the, in verse 36, people came looking for Jesus. And often that is in fact what your ministry is, right? Like as a mother, like what is your ministry? It's the fingers under the door, isn't it? Like that is your ministry. That's the thing that God is calling you to do. As an employer, right? Those clients or, or, or employees who are calling and you think, oh, shoot, like I, I thought maybe you would learn that or whatever. That, like that in fact is your ministry. Those people that depend on you for work and for instruction, that's your ministry. When your kids come, come asking, or fathers, when you come home at night and you think, I just want to relax, like I just, and the kids, they want to, you know, play like some imaginary play. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, that's your ministry. That's it. It's like, it's not easy right? It's not like an easy minute. That's not, that's never promised, but that is your ministry. Um, now I'm not, now of course we need to have that well-defined so that it's not just, you know, like your kids do need to go to bed and, you know, and the camp season begins and ends and there's only so much you can do in some ways. And that is of course the part that, uh, the part that needs boundaries put around. Um, but, but those are the, those are the ministries, um, that, uh, that, that, people, that when people are searching you out for something, that perhaps is exactly where you need to be. And Jesus knows what his ministry is, and he comes back, of course, to the town of Capernaum, and he serves the other towns as well. And the second question I would ask, um, in your prayer and reading, what has, like, what has God been showing you? Are we actually dealing with God's word in a really honest way? Like, are you actually in the word of God and praying? Like, really actually seeking for a real defined ministry because often we're just not doing that. And, and look, like I know it, there's lots to do. Uh, there's lots of things that demand our attention. And so Jesus gives us a pattern in verse 35. Look at all the descriptors here. And I'm not going to shame somebody for not being disciplined. And like Jesus was disciplined and that's how he like, that is how he had time. You don't, think, you don't think he knew that people were coming out to find him? Of course he knew that. And that's why in verse 35, rising very early in the morning, like, this is the pattern, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Like, it's not just early before everybody else. Like, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And so Jesus does, in fact, separate himself and separate time and, and space from other people to, in fact, pray. And, you know, and when I'm convicted about this, it's easy to think, well, I'm just not, you know, I, it's maybe, maybe you're not a morning person. But let me ask you this. When you're watching Netflix at night, how many of you have said, right, it's, it's bedtime, but one more season, right? That's what we, like, we, we do that all the time, right? And so, I'm, again, I'm, I know people are all over there with their reading schedules and stuff, but we tend to have lots of time. If you look at the screen time on your phone and what you've watched on online, like 
even if it's even if there's nothing wrong with it at all, right? Satan has come to steal maybe your time. Like is that a, is that possibly a thing that the that Satan could be stealing from you to devote maybe to the Lord in the morning? Just, it's just a question to ask. That's his that's his strategy. That's what he's trying to do. Would it not make sense that he's succeeding in some of our lives? So the th- he's a thief. Like he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so Jesus gets up early in the morning, and and uh, and he. So he goes out and he allows the spirit to work, right? And to lead and direct. And that's what we need to do as well. Um, and I say this again, not to shame you, but there's an opportunity here. Like there's an opportunity to, in fact, turn and make those trajectory turns, right? Towards actually following and obeying the Lord. Like you can do it. It's not easy. I heard somebody say the other day that success, um, success, success is simple once you find out how hard it is. And it's, it's kind of the case. Like We're not called to a comfortable lifestyle. But, but there is a path here to follow and to know our ministry the way Jesus knew it. And, uh, and I think that's good news, isn't it? That we can do that. Uh, our time is gone for this morning. And, uh, and so we'll, uh, we'll close in prayer. And then uh, next week, hopefully, we'll move on to, um, we'll carry on through the rest of the book of Mark. Let's just bow our heads. Father, as we, um, as we come to the end of our time in your word for now, we are, we are thankful that you give uh, that you give uh, instruction in your word, how to think uh, and how to act. And Father, we're thankful for the, uh, uh, for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that he, um, that he showed us how to, how to act among us and how to live. And Father, may we know our ministry the way the Lord Jesus knew his ministry. Um, may we seek you out in, in the private and desolate places. Um, and uh, Father, may we have the discipline to do that and to truly, as a result, encounter you so, Father, may we be encouraged by this. We, Father, we pray for, the, for those who have heard this morning um, that they maybe are, are not enough or not doing enough. Father, I pray that you, would lead their, that you would lead their hearts and minds towards you and that you would uh, show them that you, in fact, promise everything to them. Uh, and, Father, we know that if we, if we seek you with all of our hearts, we will find you. And we want to uh, attach ourselves to that promise this morning, seeking you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.